our women's retreat that took place this past weekend. Eighty of our women got together and went away to kind of be isolated and to consider the things of the Lord. And I've gotten several emails during the weekend from the ladies, and they're having an incredible time from all that I can tell. God is on the move within the hearts of our ladies, and I'm so very, very excited about what he is doing there. Uh, they are supposed to be dismissing in time to be back for our second service, but I happen to know that this morning is a time of testimony. So, <laughs> I'm not really holding out a lot of hope that they're going to be finished in time to get back for that second service because uh, I know that God has done great things and I know that they want to uh, share what God has done in their lives personally with all of the other ladies. Now, that's not the only thing that's been going on around here. It's been a busy week. It's been a busy weekend. Our, um, our Spanish-speaking men had a retreat this weekend as well. They got back last night and um, talked to Pastor William, and he was so very, very pleased with how that went. God's moving in the lives of those men and growing them and challenging them and changing them, and I praise God for that. Our youth group went to Rock the Universe last night to hear some Christian bands play. A 40, 50 of our youth went. They got back this morning about 1 a.m. It's a miracle that Arthur's here and uh, that he's able to lead us in worship, but God's doing a neat, neat work in the lives of our young people as well. I want to tell you, too, that Wednesday night, uh, was a wonderful, wonderful time at our first uh, week of Awana. It was crowded, it was noisy, it was inspiring, it was exciting, and uh, God's doing a neat, neat work in our children as well. A lot, a lot going on. I went to a funeral this past week, and I sat in this funeral of this young father, Two teenagers, young husband, a lover of God, a follower of God, a server of God, who went down to the Keys with a few friends to celebrate one of his friend's 40th birthday, went scuba diving, had absolutely no idea that when he jumped into the water and began his dive, that that would be the place of his last breath here on earth. A tragic accident um, took his life. And you know, this sounds crazy, I know, but I sat in this funeral and I thought to myself, you know, we all ought to go to at least one funeral every year because it puts eternity in perspective. It reminds us that as James said, our life is but a vapor. I've said this to you, especially during this series. There's, there's going to be a time in our life where we look back and we realize that the only thing that really matters is the things that we did for the kingdom of God. It's all that will really matter. It's all that will really last. And I think about what God is doing in the different ministries in our church 
the, 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 the excitement and the busyness and the opportunities that we have to be involved in ministry, both within the church and outside of the church and areas where we're serving. And I ask myself the question, why isn't everybody fully involved? Why is it that there would be some who think, you know what? All I really need is an hour and a half on Sunday morning. That's going to be the extent of my relationship with Jesus. There's no fellowship in that relationship. There's no interaction. There's no surrender. There's no following. They're just kind of a a fan of Jesus. Raw Jesus. Jesus is good. He died for my sins. Heaven is my home. And that's the extent of their experience. And I ask myself the question, why are there so many who are so satisfied with that life? I've wrestled with this for a long, long time. And then I begin to realize that I know that probably there are some who are confused or have doubts or who wonder because, in fact, they haven't found that what they thought was true about Jesus and about God and about His love and about His involvement in their life, it hasn't really matched what their life experience has been. And to those who are sitting here this morning and you find yourself in that place, I want you to ask yourself this question, who is Jesus? Go back to that question first. Let that question be the foundation. Who is Jesus? Who is He really? The Apostle Paul told a group of philosophers in Greece, he proved who he was. There's proof that he is who he said he is. And it's worthy, it's worthy given eternity, it's worthy of your investigation. And then I think that there probably are some who say, you know what, I don't need to go any deeper than I am right now because I'm in pretty good shape. As a matter of fact, I think God probably grades on the curve. I think that I'm probably better than most people, and, and if I grade my morality, or, or if you want to call it righteousness, that's fine, and if I do grade it on the curve, I have found that I'm better than most, and I would have you ask this question. Is restoration with God, is fellowship with God, is intimacy with God worth owning and confessing your sin to Him? And though there are those who are struggling with this idea of, I, I, I don't know how to determine where I stand in my relationship with God. Am I in a good place? Am I in a bad place? Is he, is he happy with me? Is he mad, at with, me, mad with me? And I, I, I just, I don't understand how I'm doing in my relationship with God. And I ask you to consider this question. What reflects your view of your relationship with God? What, how do you, what reflects how you feel like God accepts you? Physical birth or your heritage? Are you just kind of born into a relationship with God? Or is it whether you're good or bad, your behavior? Or is it simply a belief in Him and trusting Him? Now, today, I want us to talk about the purpose of rules the law in our relationship with God. And I think that it's important that we begin with this foundation, that rules 
always assume a relationship. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that if you're subject to rules, if you're accountable to rules, if you live your your life according to rules, then you are in a relationship. That might be at work, it might be at school, it might be at church, it might be in your marriage or or parenting relationships, or it might be in a club that you're a part of. But if you're subject to a list of do's and don'ts, a list of rules, then in fact you are in a relationship. Every religion, right, has rules. Why? Why do religions have rules? Why does Christianity have rules? We have rules. We have the law. Why is that? In Christianity, the rules differ. It depends on what denomination you're in. It seems like to me that the Presbyterians have different rules than the Baptists do. I know the Lutherans have different rules than the Baptists do. I grew up Baptist. I was well aware of of all of the rules. I had a good friend uh, who was also Baptist, and, and, and he had a friend that he worked with in his office who was Lutheran. And they became close, and they began to debate, and they began to, they, they both loved the Lord and followed the Lord, and, and, and they began to have these wonderful conversations, and, and all of that ended up in us having a golf tournament. There were eight Lutherans and eight Baptists. And we'd go away for a weekend, and we'd play a round of golf on Friday, and a round of golf on Saturday morning, and a round of golf on Saturday afternoon, and there were the Baptists versus the Lutherans, eight versus eight. On Friday night, after that first round of golf, we'd sit around, we'd have the most incredible Bible study. It would be so much fun, and we would just delve into the Word and and learn as much as we can from the Word. And while we're sitting there having this Bible study, the Lutherans are sipping on their beer because that's not part of their rules. Their rules don't say, you know, they they weren't raised like me. That was a no-no. You couldn't do that. And, and, and even I had to reconcile in my mind, why are there rules? Who do they apply to? Is there a general set of rules? And why do we have these rules? Well, we know this. Rules assume some kind of relationship. In this relationship, and, 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 and when we consider these rules, we have to understand that in relationships, in the different kind of relationships where rules apply, that sometimes rules come first. Sometimes that, that, that there are rules in order to establish a relationship. If you agree to these rules, then you can begin this relationship, and sometimes the relationship comes first. That would be true in a family, for example. You don't have a child because the child predetermined that they would follow the rules. To the best of their ability, we'll follow the rules. No, you, you established the relationship. You had the child, and then the rules came later. We, we, could, we could call that uh, a family model for rules, if you will. So sometimes, in, these rela- in, 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 in considering rules and relationships, sometimes... The rules come first. Maybe you sign a contract. Maybe you do that at at work. That works with fraternities and sororities, a club that you might join. They give you a set of rules. You say, I'll adhere to the rules, and they invite you to come and join the club. And sometimes, though, the relationship 
comes first. Now, if you take that and you kind of cut and paste that way of thinking, and you cut and paste it into a religious or spiritual context, it can be very confusing. How do the rules work in our relationship with God? Because some people are taught that the rules come first. Some people are taught that the relationship comes first. And I think that the best way for us to understand this is to go back to the very beginning, the very first rules that that we're aware of that applied to a relationship with God. So we go back all the way, 1500 B.C., 3,500 years ago, when God gave the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Can anybody stand and tell me ten of the Ten Commandments? We have a, we, we, we know two. There's two we know. Some know three. These were, these were laws. These were rules given by God. But, but, but before he gave those rules, we talked about Abraham. We talked about promises that God had made to Abraham. He's going to make Abraham a great nation. He's going to make Abraham's name great. He's going to bless every people group there is through his relationship with Abraham. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac, the son of blessing. Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. Jacob's name later became Israel. God changed his name to Israel. Israel, Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those sons was Joseph. Joseph wasn't liked by his older brothers. You know this story. They were jealous of him. He had a pretty coat, many colors. They threw him in a cave. They ended up selling him into slavery. He was taken to Egypt. He rose in his uh, status in Egypt to the second most powerful man in Egypt. A famine took over all of the land. And Joseph, knowing that his family was suffering from the fam- famine, sent him an email, sort of, and said, come to Egypt, and I'll make sure that you're fed. And they came to Egypt, and so the tribe, the people of Israel, the people of Jacob, the family of Jacob, they came to Egypt, and they, and, and they lived there, and they began to multiply, and they began to grow, and there began to be many, many, many of these children of Jacob, these Israelites, so many that the the people of Egypt said, we got to do something about this because it's not going to be a whole bunch longer. There's going to be more of them than there is of us. And so they put them into slavery. And for 400 years, they were in slavery in Egypt. And even during that 400 years, Moms and dads would teach their children about Father Abraham and how God had made him a promise. Now, I want you to imagine how those children accepted that kind of teaching. I imagine that the words on their mind constantly was, we're slaves, we're slaves. We've been slaves for a hundred years, for hundreds of years. I think that you're just telling me this so that I won't lose hope. I'm not sure that it's true, but they kept remembering. 
the, the promises that God made to old father Abraham. And then, after 400 years, God sends a deliverer. God sends Moses. And Moses goes to the Pharaoh of Egypt and he says, you know what he says, let my people go. And the Pharaoh, whose heart had been hardened by God, said no. And there began a series of plagues in Egypt. The last plague was the angel of death visiting all of the homes in Egypt. They were told the death angel would visit all of the homes. And God through his servant, through the prophet, if you will, Moses instructs the people what God has told them, told him to tell them. And here's what he tells them. He goes, look, there's one more plague. It's the death angel. He's going to visit every home. I want you to have a meal like you always do. I want you to slaughter a lamb like you always do for a meal. I want you to find the best lamb that you can. This is God speaking. This is what God wants you to do. I want you to slaughter that lamb. I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it on the sides of the door and above the door, on the doorposts. Just put that blood there. Now, I want you to consider how they're receiving this. Why? Why do you want me to do that? And I, I know that it's God's way of saying and what I believe Moses said to the people, it's God's way of saying just Trust me, trust me, trust me. But putting blood on the door is not going to make any difference. Trust me. Well, I don't understand why I have to do something so, so ridiculous. People are going to look and laugh. Just trust me. Just do what I tell you to do. The death angel visited that night, and all who had the blood on the door closed were saved. And from that moment, at least once a year, the people of Israel would get together and they would celebrate the Passover because the death angel had passed over every home that had the blood. They were saved because they trusted God. Now, they leave after, after this happens, Pharaoh says, get out of here. Go, go, go. Take everything that you own. Take some of what we own and go. And Moses leads his people to Mount Sinai. Throughout the journey, the message is the same. God is saying, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. Now, Folks, I want you to understand this. I know that I'm being a little bit uh, redundant in, in, in sharing this, but it's a foundational truth that we have got to get. He leads the people to the bottom of Mount Sinai, and he says to Moses, I'm going to give you a set of laws, a set of rules that you are to follow. And here's how it starts, and we get a lot of important information in understanding the prelude, if you will, to the Ten Commandments that are found in the 20th chapter of Exodus in the Old Testament. And here's how it goes. And God spoke all of these words, and he says, I am the Lord your God. He says to the people, I am your God. To which I imagine some of them said, really? Really? 
When did that happen? I'm your God. Trust me. He goes on and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. There is a relationship that has been established. You are my people and I am your God. I chose you. You're mine. You've done nothing for me. It's just that I have chosen you. You're my people and I am your God. And I want to share with you some laws, some rules that is going to aid you in this relationship. It's going to aid you in your relationship with each other and it's going to aid you in your relationship with me. It's going to help you. It's going to teach you how you can get along with each other in your relationships. And it's going to teach you how to have relationship with me. But the important thing is, is that you need to understand that before I give you these laws, the relationship is already established. Before you receive the rules, I want you to know you are mine and I am your God. And here's the first rule. You shall have no other gods before me. You don't need any other gods. You can trust me. I am the one true God. You are my chosen people, and I am your God. And it was as if it was a way of God sharing with those people and with us today this very, very important truth. Rules are a confirmation of, not a condition of, relationship with God. The Ten Commandments were a confirmation not a condition of Israel's relationship with God. God never said, if you don't keep these rules, you're not going to be my people anymore. I can no longer be your God. Because the relationship was established first. From the very beginning, 1,500 years before Jesus came onto the scene, God established his relationship with his people First, And then he said to them, I'm going to teach you how to live with each other. I'm going to teach you how to have relationship with me. I'm going to give you these laws, relationship first, not conditioned upon keeping laws, but laws confirming the relationship. And first, have no other gods before me because I have proven that you can trust me. These people had experienced bondage and slavery for 400 years, and God, in a supernatural way, frees them from that bondage, leads them through the wilderness to a place where he now has this conversation with them. This is so interesting to me. Here's the law. Don't have any other gods before me. But I want you to understand the relationship comes first. I'm your God. You can trust me. Then we take a look all throughout the Old Testament, right? I mean, you start, you know, in, 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 the, in the children of Israel's experience in the wilderness, you, you think about Joshua when, when they went and, and took over the land and judges in that period of time, and you go through all of the prophets of the Old Testament, you go through all of the Old Testament, and you see that here is a people who constantly, time after time, turned their back on God. 
turned their back on His laws and on His rules. Then you never see God divorcing Himself from His people. You see God acting in that family kind of model with love and discipline in bringing His people back to Himself. You see God's faithfulness and all of that in the Old Testament experience. He, he, might, he might put them in time out. You know, one time out was 70 years in Babylon. But it wasn't to punish. It was to draw them back to Himself. God's faithfulness to His people can be seen all throughout the Old Testament. Plenty of discipline, yes, but it was to prove His love as a good, good Father. He was faithful to His people. And so we must learn to embrace this wonderful truth with God, relationship precedes rules. That's how He treated His people. Those were his chosen people. What about us? Does that carry over to us today? Is the relationship that he had with Israel the kind of relationship that he can have with you and me? God made his promises to Abraham. But as we studied last week, we know that it was far, far bigger than Abraham. It was a promise that he had made to Abraham, right? Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. And Abraham, every people group on the earth will be blessed through you. Later on, after Abraham, we read this from the prophet Isaiah. God is speaking. He's speaking to the people of Israel. He says, I'm going to make you a light for the Gentiles. That's you and me. A signpost. A way for them to know. A way for them to learn that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's not about Abraham. It's bigger than Abraham. It's not about the children of Israel. It's bigger than the children of Israel. This is something that encompasses the whole world. God wants to establish relationship with every people group, with all peoples. He offers an invitation in relationship. So we shouldn't be surprised that 1,500 years later, when Jesus comes onto the scene, He walks onto the planet and He begins to reveal His power and those who are close to Him are in awe of Him. He begins to control even nature, telling the winds to stop blowing. He heals the sick. He even raises the dead. He teaches things that nobody had ever heard before. A new and better way, he keeps saying. He even said a new covenant with man. And even his closest followers were afraid of him at times during his ministry. And his response to them was the same response God had to the children of Israel. Trust me. Trust me. And the questions that would arose, he would simply say, trust me. And John, who may be the one who was closest to him, records these words in his first chapter, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, has nothing to do with the law. 
It's establishing a relationship first. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we take that and we transpose it and we begin to understand that it's, it's that family model that we began with this morning. It's that relationship first model that Jesus offers everyone an invitation to. It wasn't the way they behaved. It was what and who they believed. We are offered an invitation to become children. A child of the living God. And here's what it means. That anything Jesus requires of us is evidence of relationship. It's evidence of his love for us. Anything I ask you to do, he says to us, it means we're in relationship and you can trust me. So could it be that at least an aspect of these laws and these rules is so that we might grow in our trust of Jesus? Jesus says, don't do that. And we say, but you don't understand my situation. And he says, trust me. Trust me. He gives us a blueprint for finances. He gives us a blueprint for marriage. He gives us a blueprint for our career. He gives us a blueprint in our relationships with one another. He gives us a blueprint in our relationships with the world. Here's what you're supposed to do, and here's what you shouldn't do. And and we, we take a look at some of those things, and we don't see how they apply, and they don't make a lot of sense. It didn't make a lot of sense to put blood on a doorpost, and some of the things that Jesus says to us to do, we think to ourselves, that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And he says... Trust me. And it goes beyond just thou shalts and thou shalt nots because he is involved in the lives of those who are his children. And he gives us guidance and he gives us direction. And sometimes he gives us directions in areas where it's very difficult for us. Maybe it doesn't even make sense. And we we hear his voice. We understand what he wants us to do. But we don't want to do it. It doesn't make sense. It's going to require faith. It's scary. And he says, trust me. Trust me. Listen, one of the reasons that our attendance is light this morning. We don't have any children's ministry this morning. Now listen. To me, this is simple. There's really, the reason we don't have children this morning, we don't have any workers. We don't have enough people to take care of our kids, our children. And, and, and I think the reason for that is, is really, really simple. It's really simple to me. It's one of two reasons. One of two reasons. One reason might be because God hasn't called anybody to work back there. He's not directed anybody. He's not, he's not spoke to you. He's not said to you, hey, I, I would like for you to to serve me and in the children's ministry. And, and so maybe he hasn't asked anybody to. And if that's the case, we shouldn't have children's ministry. It wouldn't be his will for us to have children's ministry because if it's his will, it's his bill, right? If it's his, if it's his will, he provides. So that's one reason. The other reason is he's asked people and they said no. He's asked them, and they've said, you know what, it just doesn't fit my schedule. You know what, I don't like to get up that early. You know what, I don't think I'm that good with kids. You know what, it doesn't make sense. You know what, that would be too scary for me. 
And he, he, he asks, and then he says, trust me. Trust me. I know what's best for you. I, I'm smarter than you. I'm infinite in knowledge. I already know how it will turn out. Trust me. Trust me. Maybe rules are evidence of a father's love for his children. And maybe rules are used by him to grow us in our place of trust and belief. Folks, we got to believe God. We got to believe God. We've got to believe God in our church and the leadership of our church and setting direction for our church. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? I've told our elders, you, you, not, you can't be surprised if God tells us he wants us to build an ark in the middle of a desert because that's the way God works. But you've got to trust him. You've got to believe him. You've got to trust him and believe him in your career. You've got to trust him and believe him in your family in your marriage, with your children. you got to trust him and believe him when he gives us guidelines for our, our relationships with this world. And so I ask this question. In your experience, in what you've been taught, in, in your spiritual journey, how do you decipher Rules and relationship. In your relationship with God, have you felt like, this is a, a feeling, I'm not talking about theology here so much as what your experience has been. Have you felt like rules were a condition of your relationship with God? Or have you felt like rules were confirmation of your relationship with God? Why aren't we selling out? What's keeping us? What's hindering us? Before I pray, before we dismiss, I think it's appropriate that um, I mention that today is the 15th anniversary of 9-11. 15 years ago on this date, uh, our country was attacked and many, many, many people lost their lives. And I think that it's important that we remember that. I think it's important that we remember that we live in the greatest country in the world. I think it's important that we thank God for his faithfulness to us. That he's even brought us back from that difficult, difficult time in our country's history. Let me pray. I invite you to stand with me if you would. God, I thank you for your word. I think it's I thank you that it has been preserved for us for all of these thousands of years. I think that I thank you that it's been preserved with a purpose to teach us about you, to teach us about your love, your heart, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness your desire to enter into deep and intimate 
an interactive relationship with us. Lord, in the busyness of our life, and in the in, in that area of our lives where we're so fragile, where we're so afraid, we find ourselves not truly trusting you, not truly believing. Give us faith to believe, to walk in your ways because you know what's best for us, because you love us, because you want to use us. Help us to believe you and help us to trust you, I pray in your name.